As the jury in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse deliberated and prepared to issue a verdict in keeping with our system of law, Black Lives Matter members decided to put their finger on the scales of justice if the jurors refused to sacrifice the obviously innocent teenager to the mob. If Kenosha don't get it, shut it down. So this is about Kyle Rittenhouse. This is outside the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. But then they start referencing Jacob Blake, seven shots in the back, seven shots in the back, which uh, he deserved. He deserved more than that, frankly. And the cops, I think, were lenient with with Jacob Blake. Uh, But what does this have to do with that? We're talking about a completely separate incident. I suppose the only thing it has to do with it is that Kyle Rittenhouse was present at the riots that began after the Jacob Blake arrest. There are two trials going on here, the trial in the court of law, and then this completely unrelated trial in the court of public opinion. The prosecution already lost on the evidence and by all rights should lose in the court of law with regard to Kyle Rittenhouse. And so the media and its activists on the ground are going into overdrive to salvage the case on the streets. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Tile, Tile, Tyler, who says, if we weren't already sure, we damn sure know now, quote, the good news is we're now the counterculture. When you're in the counterculture, you can't afford to be lazy, says Jeremy Boring. This is very true. And this is why I think on the left, the very often the news media, the prosecutors, like in the Rittenhouse case, the politicians, they get caught with their pants down. They get caught unable to answer basic questions. They get caught in foolish errors because there's no pressure on them. Whereas for the right, if you are the counterculture, if you're opposing the ruling class, you've got to have everything absolutely right. If you're Kyle Rittenhouse, you need to make sure every shot you take is totally justifiable. Every move you make is totally within the realm of self-defense. And even then, they still might throw you to the wolves. Speaking of the wolves. Speaking of carnivores, I would strongly recommend when you want the top quality meats, you go check out Good Ranchers. Since 2015, over 100,000 independent farms and ranches in the United States have shut down. Why? Because foreign meat are robbing Americans of their livelihoods and robbing you of great flavor. That's why the Good Ranchers are here to support local American farms and help you make great American meals. That, that product of USA tag has been stolen by foreign countries. They process their meat here and then label it like it came from the United States. And because of these labeling laws that favor foreign imported meat, the American rancher and the American consumer both get a raw deal. Go check out Good Ranchers. They've got incredible beef, wonderful chicken. I love the burgers. To me, the burgers are just out of this freaking world. Go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles right now. Get 10 free bistro fillets. And in addition, if you subscribe, you will save $25 off each subscription box of mouth-watering American meats for life. These boxes will show up on schedule right to your door. So right now you'll get 10 free bistro fillets, which is a $100 value. Free express shipping and a $25 
off your monthly subscription for life at goodranchers.com slash Knowles. That is goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout. 10 free bistro filets, free express shipping, and $25 off your monthly subscription for life at goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Uh, we have a Daily Wire reporter on the ground right now in Kenosha, our friend Georgia Howe. So she showed up to the courthouse. She's interviewing people about these two somewhat related, but really quite different cases. There's the trial that's going on of Kyle Rittenhouse. And then there are people protesting about Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake was that degenerate accused rapist who was reaching into a car with a weapon, refusing, resisting arrest, reaching into a car with kids, with a weapon, about to drive off with these kids. And finally, and only then did the cops shoot him in the back. And so there's, there are protests going on about that incident because that incident sparked these leftist terrorists to go out into the street and riot. And then Kyle Rittenhouse shows up to protect property to go to this community that he works in, that his father lives in. And there, Antifa, who are showing up on behalf of the BLM people, uh, threaten Kyle Rittenhouse's life. And then Kyle Rittenhouse fights back. So it's these two really distinct stories, but they are kind of interwoven. So Georgia interviewed Jacob Blake's uncle, who says that this entire case is all about race. Now, a lot of people have been making this about race, and I noticed we have some Black Lives Matter protesters here. Um, do you think this case is about race? Of course. I'm going to be just cold-blooded, honest with you. Of course it is. A young black man was shot seven times in the back, who was never charged with any crime, who was not being aggressive, and who had his back turned on a police officer. Now, but when it comes to the Kyle Rittenhouse case, all of the men that he shot were white. So how is the Kyle Rittenhouse case about race? So to, so to be blunt with you, back in the 50s, 40s, and 60s, they would refer to him as lovers. So they were sacrificed. They were sacrificed, and this young man was used. So if they can, uh, what we're, the tone that we're setting today is that I don't believe our, 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 our Caucasian counterparts are willing to give up the lives of their young people on the street. This is no different than the shooting in Colorado, the shooting in Florida. It was a young person because he would have been in high school or just out of high school and he shouldn't have had a gun. Not the most coherent or eloquent or intelligent fellow in the world, but, but Jacob Blake's uncle is saying, look, it's true that the people who were killed in the Kyle Rittenhouse incident were white, but they were, they were really only killed because they're white people who like black people. Uh, they're, they're, you know, if Larry Elder is, a, is the black face of white supremacy, then that pedophile and the other people who were killed attacking Kyle Rittenhouse, they're the white face of black victimhood, I guess. It's all, anything that works with our left-wing narrative, that's all about, you know, we're the wonderful black victims. Anything that supports the, the right in America, they are white supremacists, even if they're black. The, the argument he makes here, by the way, about his nephew, Jacob Blake, that, look, he wasn't even charged with a crime. That is not an argument for letting Jacob Blake off the hook. That's an argument for charging Jacob Blake with a crime. He should have been charged. He got off easy. He was shot with his back turned to the cops. Yeah, his back was turned to the cops because he was reaching into a car with kids and a weapon and resisting arrest after he allegedly sexually assaulted a woman, the mother of the kids. We have a, a serious problem in this. We talk about how we need criminal justice reform. We do, we do need criminal justice reform. We have a very serious problem in this country with police leniency and under-incarceration. Jacob Blake should never get outside of a jail, <laughs> okay? He's a bad dude who is committing bad crimes and 
he is now going to get a, he, got, he did receive a payment from the state because of this kind of grievance politics, because no one wants to touch this third rail in American politics. No one wants to touch race and the left is using race and exploiting race to their own evil ends. Just tune into MSNBC. Joy Reid, Joy Reid, one of the most honest people on MSNBC in, in that she is honest about her radicalism. She just posted a TikTok where she made clear the facts of the Kyle Rittenhouse case or Jacob Blake or whatever, none of that matters. She hates white men and whatever white men do is evil. It's Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It reminded a lot of people of something, something, I just can't remember what it was. Oh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings in which Brett Kavanaugh, who had been accused by a high school friend of committing sexual abuse of her, cried his way through the hearings to make him a permanent member and associate justice of the United States Supreme Court. And his tears turned out to be more powerful than the tears of Christine Blasey Ford, which were the tears of an alleged victim. But in America, there's a thing about both white vigilantism and white tears, particularly male white tears. Really white tears in general, because that's what Karens are, right? They Karen out, and then as soon as they get caught, it's like, <laughs> bring waterworks. White men can get away with that too. And it has the same effect, even as the right tries to politicize the idea that masculinity is being robbed from American men by multiculturalism and wokeism. They still want to be able to have their tears. You white men with your white tears. Now, Joy Reid, again, because I'm not sure the IQ is, is popping past double digits. Joy Reid undermines her own argument. She says white male tears are bad. And you saw this with the Brett Kavanaugh case. And his tears mattered more than white, white women's tears. In that, in that case, Christine Blasey Ford, who was accusing Brett Kavanaugh of all sorts of terrible things, even though Christine Blasey Ford couldn't even prove that she ever met the guy. But then two seconds later, she says, but white women's tears are terrible too. Oh, okay. Well then who cares about Christine Blasey Ford? It's, it's pretty clear that Joy Reid just hates white people and, and she hates men. And so she specifically hates white men. And so in this, in this case, in Brett Kavanaugh's case, there was no evidence against him whatsoever. None of the, and some of the charges were so outlandish that now the left doesn't even bring them up. Like that woman who said that he gang raped her. <laughs> And she, she was the client of Michael Avenatti and they were both disgraced very quickly. So then they sort of went away. But even Christine Blasey Ford, her story fell apart. She had no evidence whatsoever. Doesn't matter. Brett Kavanaugh ha- faces a, a completely unsubstantiated, serious allegation. And then the minute he defends himself, the left attacks him even more and makes fun of him for that. Same thing here with Kyle Rittenhouse. The state, the prosecutors have no evidence against him whatsoever. They push a bunch of lies, actually. The media push a bunch of lies about him. Then when the defense knocks down those lies and shows that all the evidence is on his side, he gets really worked up reliving the trauma of this, of this night. And then they make fun of him for that. And what it is, is just scapegoating, right? And the thing about scapegoating is you never realize that you're the one doing the scapegoating. No one throughout all of human history has ever thought, we are scapegoating people right now. The people who scapegoat others always think they're on the side of justice. And so in this case, what the left does in this country, and the left is the dominant 
regime in this country, they scapegoat specifically straight white men. It is the only group of people that you are allowed, that it is socially acceptable to discriminate against, that it is legal to discriminate against, and actually that it is encouraged to discriminate against. If Joy Reid or someone like Joy Reid went on TV and started talking about how awful black women are and how black men are the bane of of existence, then she would be ostracized or face charges of hate speech. But, But the only group you're allowed to scapegoat are straight white men. And you're seeing this play out in Brett Kavanaugh, in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, it's much bigger. Even we, we say that self-defense is on trial here. Sure. Yeah. They say the second amendment's on trial here. Sure. But there's actually this much bigger social problem, which is the increasing scapegoating of one specific group of people. It gets you so tense. You really just need some relief, which is why I would recommend you check out Relief Band. Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas and New Year's after that. Do not let nausea get in the way of your holiday festivities. Whether it's because you have a little too much champagne, whether it's because of your anxiety, whether it's because you're just sick. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband. It has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines. I get a lot of migraines, hangovers, morning sickness. I don't get a lot of morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% Drug-free, non-drowsy, provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Do not think that this is like some cheap imitation that you buy for $10. I was skeptical that this would work. I had them send me the product. It 100% works. It is incredible. It's backed up by science. It's the number one FDA-cleared tool for anti-nausea, as an anti-nausea wristband. As the holiday season approaches, there has never been a better time to give the gift of relief and make sure that your loved ones are nausea-free. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer for our listeners. Go to reliefband.com, use promo code Knowles, get 20% off plus free shipping, and no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com, promo code Knowles for 20% off plus free shipping. The, the scapegoating of straight white men here and the, the irrational rage, the phobia, if you will, against straight white men is... Uh, something that is just part of human culture. You know, my great friend, Spencer Clavin, just did a terrific episode of his podcast, Young Heretics, about this, specifically about the author Rene Girard and this, this idea that scapegoating is at the heart of human culture, that, that our desires are such that it, it, the term is mimetic desire, that we, we desire things, not because we, de- I, I don't desire the leftist tears tumbler, merely because it's such a great tumbler. I desire it because other people desire it as well. We mimic one another's desires. And this, this leads to rivalries and I want this and no, I want this. And it leads to a war of all against all. And the only way to resolve that is with a scapegoat. That's what you're seeing play. That's the deeper level of what's going on here in the country. When you see the BLM riots in the streets, when you see Antifa hitting the streets, when you see the outrage about Brett Kavanaugh or about Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever, the deeper thing here is this issue of scapegoating. And the woke are the people doing the scapegoating. Some, some of us who are not woke can, can see that happening, but the woke can't see it happening because the people who scapegoat never realize they're the ones doing it. They're always acting in what they believe to be the name of justice. And so because this victim mentality is so strong, uh, many activists on the ground right now are demanding special privileges. The co-founder of the Portland resistance, Gregory McKelvey, 
is just, he just tweeted out, quote, employers, consider giving your black employees a day or two off after the Rittenhouse verdict. Regardless of the outcome, it's going to be hard for black people to work and it isn't fair to expect them to. It's going to be hard for black people to work. All right, cool it with the racism there, David Duke. Whoa, I didn't realize Richard Spencer was in the house. Black people can't work and we shouldn't expect black people to work. Talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. And talk about, talk about mob violence and the rumblings of potential mob violence, totally divorced from reality. No black people are involved in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. None. If, if one of, if any of the people that Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself against that night were black, Kyle would probably be in Guantanamo Bay right now. (laughs) Okay. But they're not, they were all white people. And yet, if you talk to the average person about the Kyle Rittenhouse case, just the average CNN viewer or MSNBC viewer, a person who's not paying that close attention, average person on the ground in Kenosha, I bet you nine out of 10 people would tell you that this was a case about race, that there were black people involved. There was a white supremacist who killed a black guy. The, the, the mob violence, the narrative, the, the emotion, the scapegoating has basically nothing to do with the reality of what actually happened with, with that night in Kenosha or with Kyle Rittenhouse himself. And now we're being told black people can't go to work because of the trauma of something that has nothing to do with black people. Even if it did, by the way, this isn't, this isn't the sort of thing we should be indulging. Okay. Unless you think that black people are subhuman and they can't deal with the suffering of this world like everyone else does unless you really believe that, then we need to stop indulging this stuff. It's not compassionate to anybody. It's not compassionate to black people. It's not compassionate for society at large. It's not compassionate to individuals. Cut it out. Shut up. Stop grumbling. Everybody needs to go back to work. Everybody needs to stop focusing on everyone else's sins. Everyone needs to stop focusing on the, the, the worst, terrible other person in society. In this case, in our society, it would be the straight white male. We all do it. I'm not even exempting myself from it. This is a basic part of human nature. It's part of the fall. Okay, we live in an imperfect world. But we are not going to resolve that by telling everyone to take days off of work and go hit the streets and go scream and yell about everybody and and go perpetrate mob violence and say no justice, no peace. That's not going to do it. To quote a great African-American who then I guess kind of became a white American, uh, Michael Jackson, how about you take a look at the man in the mirror and how about you ask him to change his ways. It's like my, if my friend Andrew Clavin makes this point, he says, the bigot is not necessarily wrong about the other guy. Okay. He's not. Maybe your complaint about the Polish or the Italians or the black people or the whoever, the white people, maybe your complaint has some basis in reality. But the thing about the bigots is they're never right about themselves. (laughs) They don't see that they have many of the same problems that they accuse other people of having. Now, speaking of racial politics and employment, There's a spat going on at the White House between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and it centers around aides to Kamala Harris accusing Joe Biden of racism. It goes all the way back to Kamala Harris herself accusing Joe Biden of racism. So uh, Peter Ducey, one of the few right-leaning journalists in the White House briefing room, he asked Jen Psaki about this and said, because there are all these spats going on and accusations of racism, would Joe Biden back Kamala Harris for president in 2024 or 2028. Here's her non-answer. 
There are a few reports from over the weekend that the vice president is unhappy. Can she expect the president's automatic endorsement if she decides to run herself in either 2024 or 2028? Well, first of all, the president selected the vice president because uh, to serve as his running mate because he felt she was exactly the person he wanted to have by his side to govern the country. She's a key partner. She's a bold leader. And she is somebody who has taken on incredibly important assignments, uh, whether it is addressing the root causes of migration at the Northern Triangle or taking on a uh, core cause of democracy in voting rights. Uh, so that is who the president selected. Uh, I, I don't have any predictions of whether she will run, when she will run, I will leave that to her. But I can tell you that there's been a lot of reports out there and they don't reflect his view or our experience with the vice president. So speaking of racial politics, don't forget, Joe Biden did not pick Kamala Harris because of her unique individual attributes. He picked her because of her genitals and the color of her skin. And he admitted that. He said before he ever picked her, I am going to pick a black woman. I don't care which black woman, I'm just going to pick a black woman. So the primary <laughs> deciding factor for Kamala Harris as vice president was nothing unique to her or anything she had accomplished. It was just her skin and her sex. And then he had three prominent choices. Karen Bass, who's a, an actual communist and member of Congress. Uh, uh, Susan Rice, who was the fall man for Benghazi, very unlikable candidate. And Kamala Harris, who had at least run, even though she was so unpopular, she dropped out before anybody else in, in 2020. And so he had to pick Kamala Harris. And now, and they, he obviously detests Kamala Harris. She launched her campaign calling him a racist. And so there's no love lost between these guys. And notice the question Jen Psaki didn't answer. Namely, will Joe Biden support Kamala Harris either in 2024 or 2028? Jen Psaki gives this very scripted answer. Kamala Harris is a bold leader. Yeah, you're not, you can be bold and terrible. <laughs> you don't need to, Stalin was a bold leader, right? But, but she never says she's a good leader, never says she's particularly effective, never says that Joe Biden likes what she's doing, and never says that he will support her. Very, this, this is that great schadenfreude of watching the Democrats hoist themselves on their own petard. Identity politics is poison. None of us likes it. We on the right fight against it a lot. The left uses it cynically because they think it will help them politically. And then sometimes they get caught up in that, that vicious cycle of identity politics where the, everyone's a racist and they all just keep hurling that word at one another. Now, speaking of uh, racial politics, there is a, a parent, a father, who just stood up at a school board meeting and threatened other parents who opposed critical race theory in schools. I've got over a thousand soldiers ready to go. We're not the board. He's yeah. A thousand go. Yeah, I'm going to bring my soldiers with me next time. I'm going to bring my soldiers with me so you can see, finally, the cops lead this lunatic out of the room. But you heard that first line there. He goes, I got a thousand soldiers. I got a thousand soldiers if you oppose critical race theory in schools. And he's conflating critical race theory with just talking about slavery or Jim Crow or race in America, which is, which is a, a mistake that a lot of uneducated people make. But that's not what critical race theory is. That guy should be arrested. That guy should 
not be permitted in society. You've got some parents showing up saying, keep CRT out of schools, keep radical gender theory out of schools. They're being very polite. They're working within the system. And then you've got this guy saying, yeah, I've got soldiers outside who are going to rough you up if you exercise your legal rights. That dude, if obviously, if he were a white guy, he would be labeled a terrorist. He would be brought up on charges. There would be a trial and the media would dox him and his whole family. But because he's not in the scapegoated class, because he's not in that category, he's allowed to threaten people with violence for exercising their rights, and no one says boo about it. Really not fair. It's not fair, too, that people have to pay such high prices at the tank, which is why you should check out Get Upside. I am thrilled to introduce this incredible app that is going to save you money at the gas pump just in the nick of time as, as the prices at the gas pump are going through the roof. Right now, our listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. All you have to do is download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That is up to 50 cents cash back. Do not pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free. Use promo code Knowles to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 in cash back per month. There's no catch. There's only cash. It goes straight to your bank account, or if you prefer PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands, just download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That is code Knowles. Also, if you want to support the fight to make your personal medical decisions without government interference, sign our petition against Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have already signed the petition. We need many more people to stand with us to reach our goal of 1 million. Please head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to sign the petition today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Welcome back to the show. Speaking of murder, murder has been on our minds a lot recently. Obviously, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse from the BLM riots that were provoked by the shooting of Jacob Blake and the BLM before that. And so we've been talking about murder. And speaking of murder, Ted Cruz, old Zodiac himself, has struck again. We're all focused on, on Kenosha. Meanwhile, we are letting this serial killer senator just slaughter the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, during testimony yesterday. How many children have been in the Biden cages in calendar year 2021? Um, uh, Senator, I uh, respectfully disagree with um, your use of uh, the term cages. Fine, you can disagree with it. How many children have been in the Biden cages? I've been to the Biden cages. I've seen the Biden cages. How many children have you detained at the Donna Tent facility in the cages you built to hold kids? How many children have been in those cages? Uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when, and let me, let me say, that when a child... I, I, I don't, child, I, I, it's a simple I, question. How many children I, have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages and to what you are referring. There are... Enclosures in which they are locked in, in which I took photographs and put them out because you blocked the press and didn't want people to see the Biden cages. Stop it. Stop it, Senator. He's already dead. Don't do it anymore. Uh, this is a masterclass in rhetoric. 
Is anything going to come of this? One of the criticisms of Senate testimony is not a lot comes of it. And that's probably true. The the way our government works now is that our legislators don't have a ton of power other than to expose what's going on in the government. And then it's up to us through the elections, through winning the presidency, and then hopefully transforming the administrative state through all of those things. But what, what the senators can do here is expose through testimony what these swamp creatures are doing and what they're not doing. And so the reason I bring this up is not even to focus on the kids in cages or immigration policy. It's to focus on how Cruz does not let Mayorkas set the terms of the debate. He is taking this term that the left promoted, the kids in cages, that they never stopped talking about during the Trump administration, and he is using it against them. He is hoisting them on their own petard. And Mayorkas has the temerity to say, well, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that term. You're not familiar with the phrase kids in cages, the one that your side never shut up about for four years. You, you never heard that. You don't know exactly what we're referring to. Well, Senator, I never, I, I just disagree with that term. Okay. You can disagree with it. I don't care. What's the number. And then Mayorkas basically just tries to filibuster and tries to say, well, you know, look, it's a complicated and this, and well, let me back up. And Cruz won't let him do it. And he cuts him off and says, give me the number. This is not complicated. Now, Cruz knows that Mayorkas is never going to give him the number. Cruz knows that Mayorkas is not going to feel any shame here. Cruz knows that Mayorkas is going to continue his same policy. So what he realizes is the only thing that Republicans can get here is to back the Democrat into a corner to expose him for what he is, expose what they're doing for what it is, and then to use that, that, that clip, that rhetoric is going to be the best thing we can get out of this Biden administration before the next elections. And just while he's on the ropes, Cruz finishes him off. Secretary Mayorkas, you're not answering my question. So let me ask you this. In the past year, has Joe Biden been down to see firsthand the Biden cages? Senator, I will again. Has Joe Biden been down to see this facility? Yes or no? The president has not been down to the... Okay, no. Yes or no? Has Kamala Harris been down to see these detention facilities? She has not been down... Okay. Has any Democratic senator on this committee been down to see the Biden cages? I will once again disagree with your use of terminology. These facilities, has any Democratic member of this committee given a damn enough to see the children being locked up by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because of your failed immigration policies? Uh, Senator, I cannot speak to um, the members of this committee. And you, you don't know if any Democrats have been down there? To, to Oh, I, I believe d- Democrats have been down. To see this to facility, the, yes or no? On a facility. Whether they are members of this committee, I do not know. Ted Cruz did not need Mayorkas there to give this speech. <laughs> Ted Cruz, and this is something that Republicans should take notes about. Ted Cruz knew exactly what he was going to say before he walked in. Mayorkas was there as a prop, as a toy, like a cat with a ball of yarn, Ted the cat, Mayorkas the ball of yarn, because he knew where he was going, he knew the point, and he hit it. And all too often, Republicans play defense, they think that they're playing with opponents who are, who are engaging in good faith. And they're not. And I think Cruz, uh, we haven't, I'm not, I haven't talked to him about this point, so I'm not, I don't have insider knowledge here, uh, but it would seem pretty clear to me, Cruz knows 
Mayorkas is not dealing in good faith. This is not an actual open exchange where you're going to get useful information. He's just going to stonewall. So Cruz is going to make his point and then Mayorkas is going to fumble all around. Don't let them set the terms of engagement. You want to talk about abused terms. Here's an abused term. Probably the most abused term in the country. Science. It's the most abused term in our vocabulary. And Pfizer just tweeted out about science. Pfizer, which is one of the biggest, com- one of the biggest companies in the world, and it's the company pushing the COVID vax, tweeted out a, a picture of an airplane with a little message behind the airplane. It said, know who's good at science? Scientists. And Pfizer tweets that, says, get on board. You know who's good at science? Scientists. You know who's good at lobbying and propaganda? Multinational corporations with worth hundreds of millions of dollars. That's who's good at propaganda and lobbying. You, you've, the, what the left has been telling us from the beginning of the lockdown and even before that is we need to just trust the scientists. There are no scientists. <laughs> the scientists are an illusion. What I see in that tweet is a multinational corporation with a huge amount of power and a huge financial interest in getting us to take one side of a public health question. When I look at Dr. Fauci, I don't see a scientist. I see a guy who does some science, but who is a politician who's taken his his paycheck from the government for his whole career, highest paid member of the federal government. When I look at Al Gore or Joe Biden or Prince Charles or any of the other politicians, public figures who are pushing for science, I don't, I, they're, they're actually not scientists. They're just, they're just politicians. When I see public health, I recognize there, there's a scientific aspect, but there's also a political aspect. That's what public means. Don't let them set those terms. Uh, someday, if, I, if, if King Knowles rules over the country, I think I may ban, ban that word science from the discourse. Okay, and the, who's the master of politicized science? Who's the master of it? Dr. Fauci dressed up like a James Bond villain in a black turtleneck with an Oxford button down and a tweed jacket over it, opining from his garden about how the American people are just too, too desirous of their own individual rights. One of the things that to me was most difficult to accept is that we put together a good plan for how we were going to try and dampen down the spread of infection early on. Thinking that that was accepted by everybody, and then the next day, the president saying, free Michigan, free Virginia. I didn't quite understand what the purpose of that was, except to put this misplaced perception about people's individual right to make a decision that supersedes the societal safety. That, to me, is one of the things that I think went awry in all of this. Did you ever raise that with President Trump? You know, I didn't have the opportunity to raise it. I was sort of like shocked. And then I didn't speak to him for some time after that. But it was at that point that I realized that I would have to just get out there myself and say things that clearly were going to be contradictory. The only thing that's missing from this clip is Dr. Fauci stroking a fluffy white cat on his lap. These people, they have their liberty, their rights. They talk about their rights. They don't realize 
that Dr. Fauci is their rights. Dr. Fauci is their true liberty. Yeah, yeah. He also admits that he's a coward, by the way, because he says, I gave my advice to the president and then the president didn't take it. And that was very bad. And so the interviewer says, well, did you tell the president that? No, no, I wouldn't. No, I would never confront him face to face, man to man. No, I would just stab him in the back on TV when he's not looking. That's what I would do. (laughs) That's the right, because he's he's a coward and he has a huge misconception, a misperception of his own political power. The point he's making about individual rights has a grain of truth in it. It has a grain of truth in this. If there were, forget COVID, let's talk about a real, serious, going to kill 90% of the people that get infected with it type of super duper virus, right? A, not, not a virus where the vast majority of people face basically no threat from it. And for huge swaths of people, the infection fatality rate is 0.003%. And let, but let's talk about one. Let's say that 70% of people who got infected with a virus would die from it. And it were spreading like wildfire throughout the country. Would you support a vaccine mandate? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Of course you would. Would there be a legal basis for that kind of a vaccine mandate? Yes, there, there would be. I think so. In American history, it goes back to that case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts in 1905. There is a basis even before the, the official founding of the country, before the Constitution, George Washington inoculating the Continental Army against smallpox. And the inoculation actually killed a lot of people. Yeah, I think we all would. If there were a, a virus that were really going to kill 90% of Americans and it were spreading, we would, we would support those kind of mandates. But that's not this virus. And this vaccine, by the way, is not nearly as effective as they all told us it was. So the particulars here, I think, are being misperceived and being misrepresented by people like Dr. Fauci. And the biggest misperception is his role in the American government. Because according to Dr. Fauci's perception, he should have ultimate power. He's the one who decides everything and your individual rights and your state rights and your rights through your duly elected people, even the rights of the president, all are less important than doing whatever Dr. Fauci says, which is why he took it upon himself and presumed to go on TV and undermine the duly elected president, left and right, to say nothing of undermining your individual liberty. Politicians are always trying to exploit science for their own political ends. There was a clip. Oh my gosh. You, you, the, the hits keep on coming with Kamala Harris. You think that you have seen the most cringe-inducing clip of Kamala Harris. And then right behind it, there is another one. So Kamala Harris is at NASA. She's in a meeting at NASA. And she interrupts the meeting to ask if there are super cool satellites in outer space that are being used on all these amazing uh, experiments and for all these amazing scientific purposes, if they can be used to spy on neighborhoods to promote tree equity. Climate adaptation strategies. Can you measure um, trees? Part yes. of that data that you're referring to, and it's in EJ, it's environmental justice. But you can also track by race their averages in terms of the number of trees in the neighborhood where people live. Yeah, forget about going back to the moon. Forget about heading on up to Mars and exploring the rest of the solar system. And no, what we need to do is use these satellites in the sky to spy on neighborhoods to see how the, how the trees are spread out in the neighborhoods. That's, that's going to be the use of NASA. 
the space agency. This is a part of the Biden budget, by the way, is tree equity. And of all the stupid programs in the budget, I actually have the least problem probably with tree equity. I like trees. I like beautiful neighborhoods. I don't mind that we're, of all, of all the ways to spend money, I don't mind planting trees in poor neighborhoods. But this just shows you, you make a scientific advance, you have the scientific agency, and the government immediately says, oh, we're going to use that to spy on people. We're going to use that to redistribute wealth. We're going to use that for our own, obviously, political purposes. There's bad news for people who don't like Kamala Harris, which would be most people. According to a new poll out from uh, Hill and Harris X, a majority of voters do not want Joe Biden to run for re-election in 2024. 61% of registered voters in a survey conducted November 9th through the 10th said that Joe Biden should not run for president in 2024. Devastating, devastating numbers for a sitting president. The only people who think that Biden should run again, 24%. And there's another 15% who say that they're unsure. But even if all of the ones who are unsure side with the ones who are sure and they, and they all want him to run again, still the overwhelming majority say that Joe Biden shouldn't run again. So then you've got a big political problem on your hands if you're a Democrat, because your vice president is the least popular vice president in many decades, if not ever. She's got a 28% approval rating right now, lower than Dick Cheney at the end of his tenure as vice president after the Iraq war and after he shot a guy in the face and after he was called Darth Vader for years. And she is still measurably less popular than he is. So who's it going to be? As this heats up, as people get more and more disenchanted with Joe Biden, as Kamala gets less and less popular, you're going to see Biden and Kamala continue to snap at each other. And you're going to see more accusations of racism from the Kamala Harris camp at Joe Biden. And you're going to see more mockery and derision hurled at Kamala Harris from the Biden camp. It's happening right now. It, it has to. They're in a, in a blood match against one another. And the, the more they fight, talk about mimetic rivalry and a war of all against all. You're seeing that right now. They're, they're just at a war with one another, eating each other alive. And, and then the question is, if it's not going to be the president, if it's not going to be the vice president, who on earth is going to step up and be the nominee? Is it going to be the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, not after Afghanistan? Is it going to be, who else? Is it Pete Buttigieg? I don't know. Is it going to be the Transportation Secretary? He's probably going to be on paternity leave for his, for his presidential campaign. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? This is the one silver lining here of these, this awful, uh, ugly kind of politics of destruction that you're seeing on the left is you're, you're watching them destroy themselves. There is no way that Joe Biden can count on any kind of popularity if he runs again. He was just in New Hampshire trying to sell his infrastructure bill. So he walks up to a, a huge crowd with thunderous applause, a stadium just like Donald Trump. Is that what happened? No. Take a listen to the reception for the president. So he's walking up. That's not what you're hearing is not just droplets of water hitting stone. You're hearing just like one person clapping. Okay, now you're hearing like four people clapping. Whoever did the advance for these guys was not, not great at stagecraft because they have a long way to walk up to the podium. I, I'm counting the people applauding. It's, 
It's, it's three people. The leader of the free world, the most popular president ever, got a gazillion votes, remember? Still walking. Takes, takes a while when you're, when you're Joe's age. Thank you. <laughs> Magnificent state. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you to both of you for being here. <laughs> this is the president of the United States. Now you might say, well, he's in, you know, some far flung part of New Hampshire. He's the president of the United States. He's the president of the United States. You would th- if he did not have approval ratings in the thirties at best, he would have a lot of people there to welcome him. Absolutely pathetic. That's the most, the most popular president ever who got the most votes. He got 80 bazillion votes in 2020. And if you suggest he got even one vote fewer, you're an insurrectionist, terrorist. Okay. I don't think he's that popular. I don't think, and putting the previous election aside, I don't think if he runs again, he's going to get 80 gazillion, bazillion votes unless, unless some more water pipes burst at three in the morning at the poll counting places in Georgia. Speaking of the future, speaking of infrastructure, Jeff Bezos has a prediction. The eccentric billionaire Amazon founder just said at a recent event that he believes that in the future, most humans will not live on earth and they will think of planet earth as a protected national park that they will only visit as a tourist attraction. He said, quote, over centuries, most or many of the people will be born in space. It will be their first home. They will be born on these colonies. They will live on these colonies. They may visit earth the way you would visit Yellowstone National Park. My question, reading that quote and observing the behavior of people like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and the rest of them, do money and power inevitably make people dumber? Why is it that the richest and most powerful people in history seem so stupid? First of all, what he's saying is just preposterous. The idea that we're all all just going to leave Earth, whether it's because of the sun monster, you know, threatening us or whatever, or overpopulation or global cooling or global warming or whatever they make up next. We're all going to leave earth. We're all going to go to Mars um, or some other place, a much, much less hospitable, (laughs) incomparably less hospitable place. And then, but, but I guess actually the sun monster didn't destroy earth because we'll still go back as a tourist attraction or something. Why is this? It's not just these tech billionaire oligarchs. It goes back to the ancient pharaohs, to rulers since time immemorial who, who just search desperately for immortality, the elixir of life, all of these fool's errands. Why is that? I think the answer is pride. I think it just comes down to pride. When you have everything, when you have every earthly desire satisfied, when you have your mistresses and you've got your harem and you've got your yachts and you've got your plane and you get to go to outer space on a little tourist voyage, when you've got everything being titillated and satisfied. You just, you you indulge in fantasy, the fantasies that you will break these surly bonds of earth and your, your mortal bonds and your natural bonds. And that's not going to happen. But this is what takes people down. This is why the left doesn't see what they're doing when they scapegoat people. This is why the left doesn't see how unpopular their, their agenda is whether it's crazy racial theories or gender theories or just the regular old Biden budget. They don't see it. They're trapped in their own bubble. They're trapped in a system of pride, which is why we say pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, a blockbuster report claims the FBI flagged all harassment in school officials. Kindergartners learn about transgenderism, and the Rittenhouse jury continues its deliberation. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen.